Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch-Up. Stefano Tsitsipas retains his title in Monte Carlo. Davis Cup finals switch from Abu Dhabi to Malaga. And Kim Kleisters retires for a third time. Kim, today is the 18th of April and we are here to catch up on the weekend tennis at Passing Shot HQ, especially backed by our crowdfunders Georgina Davis and Mark Underwood. We have had our first Masters event on the clay this season, the Masters 1000 event in Monte Carlo. Stefanos Tsitsipas is our champion. He was the champion last year. He's the champion this year, retaining his title. And that is that is not a bad way, I think, to start you know, start the clay season. A very difficult thing to do to retain your title. I think he's the first person outside of the big three to do that in a long, long time. But before we get into all of that, Kim, of course, it is Easter. I've got to ask you the big question that is on is in my head and I'm sure is on everyone's lips um, of our listeners. What what Easter egg? What Easter egg have you gone into? I'm sure you've tucked into. Have you tucked into a few over the weekend? What Easter egg have I gone into? Um, I've gone into <laughs> a Cadbury's egg. I'm very traditional oh, in that sense. Classic. Scotty Cadbury's, yeah. No. <laughs> what about that you? Is so underwhel- it's so underwhelming. Have you gone for a fancy like Hotel Chocolat egg then, Joel? Uh, not Hotel Chocolat, but I do, I do posh it up a little bit over, over Easter. I've gone with, I think you have to, it's got to be lint, the lint chocolate Easter egg. Uh, lint chocolate balls as well at Christmas time. It's just got to be done. It's like the, for me, it's like the seasonal, it's the seasonal chocolate of choice. And Cadbury's, I don't, I just don't think it really doesn't elevate the occasion, Kim. Come on. I think you've just been sold by Roger Federer, like advertising for lint, haven't you? You've just been like, you've succumbed to their marketing. Um, no, I mean, I do love a bit of chocolate. I mean, happy Easter to any of our listeners who have been celebrating. Um, I've been kind of off in the sort of southwest of, of England for a few days, which has been really nice. Lovely weather as well we've had over mm. Easter. So yeah, all, all been very nice indeed. And very nice, as you said, for Stefano Sitzpass, because he's won his first title uh, of the year defending his uh, friend uh, his french open crown what am i saying <laughs> defending his <laughs> you are getting ahead of yourself aren't you <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, a maybe in years three years' time, time a few years ahead of, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, I've obviously had too much Easter chocolate. Um, defending his Monte Carlo crown, um, six three seven six in the final against Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, who, you know, aside from Sitspas defending his title, was probably, you know, arguably definitely the story of the week, um, mm. reaching his first um, Masters final and, well, really making a name for himself, sort of at this stage, you know, at this level on the tour. 
Yeah, definitely. It's been, you know, it's been really impressive from Davidovich Fakina because he put himself on the map with that, you know, that victory against Novak Djokovic. I mean, we were going into this tournament, perhaps, I mean, now looking back on it, a little foolishly thinking we wouldn't sort of nailed in for a, a Djokovic Carlos Alcaraz quarterfinal, but by, was it day one, day two, both Djokovic and Alcaraz had lost. And Davidovich Fakina was very, very good uh, in that match against Djokovic. And, you know, we'll, we'll come on to that in a bit, but let's start with Sefnos Tsitsipas because he is the winner. He is the champion. And it's just amazing, I think, for Tsitsipas because, as you said, he's, he's retained a Masters 1000 title. He's the first non-Big 3 player to do that since Andy Murray in Shanghai back in the 2010-2011 season. So a long, long time ago. It just shows, I think, how difficult that is to become. And I think this, you know, this tournament, it just shows, you know, with Sissabas, although I think, you know, there are there are faults there, you know, with his game. And you see that, I think, particularly like on a, on a hardcore. And we've seen that, you know, at the, I think at the start of this season, he's already got, I think, seven, you know, losses on the tour. Yes, he is the, I think the match wins leader, but he's had a few losses where, you know, I think I've been a little bit surprised by, but coming onto the clay, I mean, his game just works so, so well. And I think this week really, really showed it. And I think, you know, particularly for me, the the time he is allowed by a clay court really, really helps in terms of particularly, I think, his ground strokes. You know, I know he hits a, a heavy ball, particularly on the on the forehand, which I think was, you know, really key to his his success, you know, really kind of staying in offensive positions from the back of the court, but also on his backhand side as well. And also, you know, certainly I think with him, again, I think being questions about that, that backhand side, but the fact that even on a clay court with the, that high bounce, he is able to kind of get round and, and break out his forehand. And I think has really, really helped him in terms of getting into these kind of winning positions. And I think that served him really, really well throughout the whole week. And, you know, apart from that match against Schwartzman um, in the quarterfinals, which was an absolutely wild ride. Yeah, he played very, very well in the final. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely able to run round and hit the forehand more often. He's got the mm. time to do that on a clay court and get that kind of the angles. Um, it, it really is. Yeah, definitely. I think his his surface, isn't it? His game is so much more effective, yeah. and he served really well against um, Davidovich Fakina in the final. Um, you know, so much better on all the kind of stats. It's you know a clear kind of winner in that regard. Um, it was just when he was serving for the match mm. um, had a bit of a wobble a and wobble. Um, Davidovich Fikina was able to break back, uh, went to a tie break. But I mean, really, Sitspas has, has been, you know, pretty comfortable, I guess, um, for a lot of the tournament. It was really that that Schwartzman uh, quarterfinal that, you know, he, as you said, went four love down in the third set and had to come, come all the way back. But aside from that, you know, he had solid win over Sasha Zverev, um, win over Laszlo Gere, Fognini. Um, so obviously really, I think, good for him going into the rest of the clay season to have this kind of win for, for his confidence because he's been really off the ball for, for a while. Like, you know, neither of us really thought he was going to defend his title when we were making predictions this time last week. You know, we were kind of just focusing on Alcaraz and Djokovic, as you said. Um, and you know, I was going about Yannick Sinner for some reason. But um, yeah, it's um, a really positive week, I think, going into... The French Open, you know, he will be defending his uh, final at the French Open as well. He's got lots of points there to defend. You know, he 
obviously lost in five sets to Djokovic last year. Many people are now considering Sitsipas as, you know, I guess he would already have been one of the favourites, but it's going up in the in the form books and the odds, perhaps. I think one question mark for me is around his position where he does get into those kind of winning moments, you know, in those those scenarios where he does have the opportunity to serve it out. And we saw that in the final. He wasn't able to do it. Yes, he did come through that tie break, but perhaps he got a little bit tight there. And again, in that Schwartzman match, I mean, the reality is, yes, that is a match of the year candidate, but really Sissipas should have got that done in, in straight sets. No fuss. But again, he showed, he, he's lost his belief a little bit in the really big moments. And I, I again, I think I go back to that Novak Djokovic final, you know, at the French Open last year. And again, he was in a very commanding position against, uh, you know, Djokovic and again, wasn't able to kind of close out the victory. And, and you know, I think, you know, you look at his game, um, you look at it technically, and it is very, very sound on, on a clay court. You know, at the moment, it's hard to see where, you know, the, the frailty is. But I think the frailty does lie in those pressure moments. And I think, again, we maybe saw that a little bit this week, and that's potentially something he can work on. Um, I think there are other things he can also work on. I know we've spoken about his you know, his, uh, let's say, aggression on the court and his mentality. But again, I don't think that was tested as much here, perhaps, as, you know, his technical ability. And it just really, I think, was too much for, you know, everyone that he faced um, ultimately on the on the tennis court. But uh, yeah, it was a very, very good win for him. The fact that he retained as well, I think, will give him, you know, big, big confidence. And a, a player, you know, I always think about, you know, Dominic Team. Uh, you know, when he was sort of in his, you know, at the peak of his powers on the clay court, you know, a few seasons ago, which obviously we hope he, he can get back to, almost feel like Sitsipas has sort of transitioned to become that Dominic team-like player on a clay court. Because you do feel like now he's getting to a point where he is pretty formidable on the clay court. And, a, you know, a matchup against a Novak Djokovic or, you know, again, potentially, or a Rafael Nadal could be very, very interesting because just because of the way he plays... And how I think, you know, a clay court certainly, I think, accentuates all of his strokes as well. Yeah. And um, I mean, talking about Dominic Team, we'll be getting on to him a bit later on because he's he's relevant again this week, Joel, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, sits past. I mean, this is, is a good, obviously, good start to his clay season. Mm. Um, I think the jury's still out, as you said, like mentally when it comes to the crunch, crunch moments. But, you know, Djokovic this week, very, a very unconvincing, you know, but this is his first match back for a long time. Only his kind of what third match of the year he's obviously going to get better going into the French a lot of people are saying oh is you know I mean Sitsipas has got I mean is Sitsipas the favourite is Sitsipas the favourite at the moment given you know Djokovic not great this week I know I know you know even Isovic his his coach and his team are not particularly worried about it I don't think Djokovic fans are particularly worried about it either but this wasn't obviously in the the Djokovic play but Nadal will be coming back from injury Medvedev we don't even know if he's going to be at the French Open I mean do you think this is as laid down a marker as Sissipas as potentially the favorite or where where do you see him in the in the rankings of, of French Open candidates after this title win I think in the top five of people who are likely to win but I think he needs top to... three <sighs> Yeah, it depends on Rafa, I think, and and mm-hmm. what we see maybe from Novak the rest of this clay season. Um, 
ask me that the week before the French. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think Sitsipas, without wanting to put too much pressure on himself, should be thinking at the back of his mind, if I can stay fit and healthy, mm. I, you know, and just be the Could last win. one standing. If if the others aren't yeah. fit and healthy and, you know, their form is just shocking. However, you know, Novak Djokovic is a 20 times Grand Slam, you know, winner. Although he had a terrible week, a terrible match at Monte Carlo, I, I still would put him above Sitsipas in the odds for the French Open, even at this particular stage. Um, you know, I think I think I was shocked that obviously Djokovic lost to Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, but then what Al- Davidovich Fakina managed to do by you know getting into the final, backing up his win, you know, getting those wins over Goffin and Fritz. Um, and Dimitrov as well in the semi-final. Uh, on another note, really nice to see Dimitrov get to that stage as well. Um, mm. I would have been happy for him to have, you know, got on and won the title. That would have been a really nice story as well. But obviously, Davidovich Fikina playing very, very well. He'll be now into the top 20 as well, um, which, you know, is fantastic for him. I think he's probably felt emboldened somewhat maybe by Carlos Alcaraz and thinking, hey, you know, I can be a up-and-coming Spaniard as well I'm going to go and do something at, at Masters level but um yeah really really good week from him great to see him I, I saw him a few years ago at I think Estoril and you know he was sort of playing I think that in the qualies there and you know you see where he is now what, three yeah. years later and it's great to see him growing and and learning as well yeah, I mean, just just on Djokovic, I do think <laughs> I think we were sort of more alarm bells were ringing, you know, in the immediate time after that loss to Davidic Fakina than at the end of the tournament, having seen mm. how far for Fakina got to the you know to the final. But yeah, very impressive from him, Kim, particularly because he was going into he was going into Monte Carlo with a one four lost nine match record. He hadn't really done a lot either, you know, last season. But yeah, Spanish Spanish tennis, I don't know what's happened, but it seems to be absolutely, you know, flying at the moment. You know, we were going in talking about Carlos Alcaraz. I think that's probably the the biggest disappointment, along with, you know, Rafa not being there. Um, but you know, you've got you've got six Spanish men now in the the top thirty-two uh as of today. You know, Nadal, Carreño Busta, Bautista Agut, Ramos Vinolas, and then Alcaraz and Davidovich Fikina. So Spanish tennis really, really going well at the moment. And I, Kim, I'm not going to lie. I was a bit surprised that, that Davidovich Fikina was able to kind of bring this, maybe bring this level out over a consistent, you know, across a whole, you know, across a whole tournament. I think, you know, we sort of see these, I think, results against big three players like Novak Djokovic. And then, it, you know, it takes so much out of them that, they then go on and lose what seems like an easier match on paper in the next round. So I think for me, kind of watching his game, and it was great, I think, to see that the fans just sort of love him as well. I think particularly watching him, you know, scurry around the court. There was lots of aggression there. Um, But it was great, I think, to see how he was able to kind of follow up on that, that Djokovic win. And I think, you know, the belief, obviously, that would... That would give you. I mean, he broke Djokovic's serve nine times, and I, f- I feel like if you're able to do that, and and any player or, you know, opposite on on court from you, you just, you're just going to feel like you can break them at, at any time. So I feel like the the belief um, that he got from that win certainly carried him through. I think to the final, and perhaps maybe he just kind of ran out of gas, um, you know, in that in that final, given. He's never been to a, an ATP level final before. So 
uh, is his you know i don't think maybe his body was perhaps conditioned you know enough to to withstand someone like a Sissipas, um, you know, in the final, but you know, to see him get there and then play the tennis he did in that final, given he was a debutant, because you know we have seen nerves. You know, Carlos Alcaraz last week, you know, he was a debutant in a, a Masters final. It sort of hindered him to begin with. So again, it was just great to see. I think the flair of of Fakina really come out across the whole tournament, particularly in the final, where, as I said, taking Sissipas to that that second set tiebreak, I felt he probably would have felt that anything was possible if he could have won that tie break but Sissipas able to kind of nip it in the bud yeah certainly neutrals would have been hoping for a third mm. set there um, I think he had a very respectable performance and the scoreline reflected that and certainly you know we've seen first time finalists at this level just completely fall apart haven't we uh, in the final mm. so uh, certainly very proud you know he should be of, of his performances all week um you know he really did benefit from a terrible Djokovic performance in the, in that match I think mm. it was you know statistically I think it was a bit of both I think it was a oh, bit of yeah both. I'm not I'm not trying to take anything away from Fakina but I think Djokovic had you know some of the worst serving like I've ever seen mm. from him you know he just wasn't in wasn't he able was to compete on anything yeah very very rusty um really not at his best but you know I think we've seen this from him in recent years at the, at the start of the clay as well you know he lost to Dan Evans in Monte Carlo, Carlo last year and then obviously he still went on and won the French Open got to the final of Rome so I wouldn't worry if I was a Djokovic fan um you know it's 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 even probably more exacerbated this year because of what happened in the first three months of the season but I'm sure uh, Djokovic is only going to be able to to get better um in time um he'll peak for what he wants to peak for won't he well, I feel like he he has to because, you know, there was talk of Djokovic not being physically 100%. And I think, you know, a lot of fans were watching that match against Davidovich Fikina and thinking the way he won that, um, you know, that second set, you thought he was the one who had all the, you know, the momentum and was going to kind of carry it through. So it was a real, I think, shock to, you know, just to the neutrals really that Djokovic ran out of energy. It's not something we've really you know, associate him with, you know, we associate him as a, you know, a really, a really top level athlete who can, you know, we, we see that in, in Grand Slab semi-finals, Grand Slab finals, where he's been really put the distance and come out, come out the victor. So it was very surprising, I feel, to see him fall so meekly um, in that third set. It does make me wonder whether he should have just played Monte Carlo in, in the first place. And again, I think it's not been helped by, the fact that he's not been able to play as many tournaments as he would have liked, you know, going into the clay season. And maybe there is this, this feeling or this pressure in the Djokovic camp that he needs to play as many tournaments now as possible, regardless of if he's feeling a hundred percent or not. But I think what I took from it is the fact that he just can't turn up and us sort of expect him to kind of walk through to the final. You know, there is rust there, no matter how, great you are or no matter how many people are going to say you might be the greatest of all time there is going to be rust there and I think Davidovich Fakina exploited that and he played a, you know he played a great match I think he played a great match very tactically as well and um, Djokovic didn't really have an answer it maybe he was a little bit surprised but it was a it was a very rude awakening I think for, for Djokovic in terms of a, a welcome back um, onto the ATP tour Probably a bit of underestimating going on, as mm. we all did, I think, when we looked at the draw and just mm. assumed that Djokovic would um, get through, certainly to the quarters to face Alcaraz. And 
as is always the way neither of them made it there um <laughs> i know it was so i mean it was quite it was a little bit egg on face wasn't it because we were so pumped i think a lot of people were so pumped for you know that quarter final potentially between Djokovic and Alcaraz and yeah Alcaraz having a really good match with Sebi Korda we sort of were wondering you know Korda shouldn't be counted out just yet I know Alcaraz is on home soil but uh you know Korda coming through that so yeah that top that top half really did really did open up and which was quite surprising because we thought you know we thought with with Djokovic there Alcaraz there we just thought one of those two probably getting to the final but it just completely opened up around you know after you know after I think what day one day two and uh, I think it just shows the ATP has this level of unpredictability I think at the moment that arguably hasn't been there I think over the last few seasons given you know the vulnerability of you know the the big three players like you know when they are in the draws like we've seen this week with with Djokovic and I still think you know with players who are expected to have great things in the future like Alcaraz there's still that rawness there that gives you that that gives you that uncertainty that you know maybe you know he he, he still could he still could lose this and given the you know the depth I think particularly in the up-and-coming uh players on the tour with players like Corder, um, you know, Taylor Fritz as well. Yeah, it's you can't you just can't you just can't assume anything, can you, at the moment? Absolutely not. It's uh it's it's all change and it's never gonna be how it how it was previously with you know mm. with that level of dominance, isn't it? So we we have to get used to this, Joel. But we'll get on to this <laughs> in a bit, because that's a question for later as well, I think. Um one player that's definitely not rusty is is Joe Salisbury, new doubles world number one. And mm. with Rajiv Ram, he won the Monte Carlo doubles title uh it was a champions tie break they beat uh cabal and farah 10-7 i think this is their first ever clay court title together uh for, for ram and salisbury so really fantastic i think it, it definitely seals uh joe becoming the world number one um you know in a really nice way picking up the master's title and um you know rajiv ram was very nice and complimentary saying he's got the best player in the world on his team so that certainly helps which uh... wouldn't you love that i know wouldn't I know. you love that so much i mean it is great to see though there's so much confidence mm. and belief in both of them uh and it was quite yeah nice also to see yeah jamie murray with bopana getting through to the the semi-finals but yeah joe winning that battle of the the brits on on that occasion in the semis but yeah great to see joe salisbury underlining his status i think with with rajiv round at the the top of the the men's doubles game it's great to see hopefully we can see him still playing davis cup for you know for gb i think yes it's still for me a bit like <laughs> this is great but let's hope uh, as a as a as a british tennis fan i want to see that sort of maximized in those moments where there are british audiences so i'm hoping that yeah he can get involved more in davis cup going forward because he is you know he is flying at the moment and you know, again you would not be surprised come the french open if he's going to be there or thereabouts with with ram potentially winning the you know um a men's doubles Grand Slam title on a clay court for the first time as well. Well, exactly. I mean, they've won, what, the US Open, Australian mm. Open. They really need to, to target yeah. <laughs> Wimbledon and uh, the clay as well now. So the other surfaces. So fingers crossed. Good luck, Joe and Rajiv. Um, talking about British tennis, Joel, we had the Billie Jean King Cup qualifiers on the weekend and Great Britain uh, ladies were out in action uh, against the Czech Republic, trying to make it through to the finals in November. Um, unfortunately, we did lose on the the final doubles rubber. Uh, Harriet Dart and Katie Swan missing out uh, to Von Drusova and Mukova in straight sets. Really tough 
uh, you know, really tough Czech pairing then in the doubles. It was always going to be an uphill battle trying to win mm. that decider. Um, but, you know, what brought us to a decider? We had um, obviously Emma Raducanu in action, winning one, losing one. Uh, foot blisters making her feel, in her words, completely redundant in her second singles match against... Um, Von Drusseva, which would have been tough at the best of times, but when you're completely yeah. hampered and unable to move, <laughs> you're only going to get two games, which is what happens. Kim, I feel like Von Drusseva has been drinking whatever Igor Sviontek has been drinking lately because she was just obliterating. I mean, she obliterated both Harriet Dart and, and Radicanu on the clay in Prague. Um, it was quite, it was quite interesting watching it on TV because although, you know, we've been enjoying great weather in the UK, I mean, the temperatures in Prague, I mean, it was getting down to like five degrees, five degrees Celsius outside. Harriet Dart was in her kind of long sleeve leggings, long sleeve top. The, the Czech coach, he looked like he was ready to, to take a ski season. It looked very, it looked very, very kind of testing conditions. And uh, yeah, I think it was a great performance in one sense from GB. The fact that they got two two points against a very good Czech Republic side, I think was very, very impressive. It was great to see Harriet Dart, I think, at 2-1 down, faced with that pressure and that adversity, be able to kind of win that fourth singles rubber. But yeah, I mean, with, with Radicanu, yeah, let's, let's start there. I mean... Yeah, that was a good win against Martinsova. We've got to remember, I think that was her first professional clay court match, which doesn't sound right, but it's the fact. And, you know, Martinsova, again, is a very, um, you know, experienced opponent. Um, Radicani had to be on, you know, the top of her game to come through that, which she did. Um, but yeah, it, it again, it's sort of unraveled for her in that match against Von Drusova. I mean, I think it was great to see her kind of you know, hold her, you know, put her, her, put her hand up and put herself forward for that match. Um, and it shows, I think, her commitment to, you know, Great Britain and wanting to try and go out and get the win. And, you know, we needed her on the top of her game against Von Drusseva. But, you know, unfortunately, physical ailments, physical injuries, again, hampered her, her movement. And this is not the, not the first time it happened. And from that, that regard, it's, it's quite disappointing because, Radicanu, I feel like the level of tennis we've seen from her this season, it's been pretty good. But at the same time, her, the level of her physical conditioning or or her body, it's just not, it's not still not really at the moment able to handle, you know, the rigour of a, a WTA tour season. Yeah, she seems to be getting all these little like, niggly things mm. cropping up and it it's seems like, what's to be a next? different thing each what time. Is next? <laughs> yeah, what's I mean, the toenails? I mean, like, yeah, ugh. Yeah, really gross when you think about it as well. But we know that blisters are actually a fairly common issue. I think players are playing with them a lot of the time, Mm. um, having to kind of bandage them up and, you know, just grin and bear it sometimes. And I mean, I really hope she gets it sorted and she maybe get if she's keeping on getting them as a recurring issue, she looks at the root cause. But um, once again, bad timing, you know, it's but this will all hopefully help build her mm. strength and resilience you know once you've had them um well, and- well it was it was interesting because yeah she did she did talk about the fact that in a weird way you know she is happy with how she's playing at the moment and again you look at that martinsovic and i'm like yeah you know first proper season on the tour that was a good win in your professional debut on the clay court yeah great stuff um, but it's 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 yeah those physical ailments that are 
you know, sort of hampering and, and hindering her. And although I think, you know, Radicanu talks about these as she's almost like, she's almost fine with that because it's not her level of tennis. Her level of tennis is good. And I think we've got to remember that is, I think, the most important thing. I think these sorts of things, they will write itself over time. But if the level of tennis is not there, then her ranking is going to drop you know, pretty quickly and could all kind of change at a at the click of the fingers. But from the level of tennis we've seen when she has been, you know, fully fit, 100%, I think has given me more confidence in terms of you know, where she can go with this season in terms of her ranking. And ultimately, I think living up to the the billing that has been bestowed on her at the start of the season. Yeah. And I think um, the other thing from this tie for Great Britain was perhaps should they take a doubles specialist going forwards mm. or, you know, Tara Moore, for example, uh, I think is our highest ranking female doubles player. She wasn't in the squad. Would she have been able to have made much of a difference in that final rubber? I'm not sure. I think Pondrusa Mukova would have been too much, but you know, Tara Moore recently was a, a doubles runner up on the WTA tour, um, you know, seemingly in, in fairly good mm. form in that regards, but perhaps team selection might be reconsidered uh for for our next our next time yeah definitely i think i mean I, I, i'm not sure why tara moore wasn't there whether she wants to you know, focus on you know her her doubles efforts on the tour specifically and as a result is sort of parking you know gb to the side at the moment but it did feel a bit uh frustrating i think as a, as a gb fan that we weren't able to have you know a, a doubles specialist i think out there potentially yeah, with um, with Harriet Dart because Harriet Dart was playing some great tennis to come through that match against Linda Fruverteva, um in the fourth tie. I mean, it was really surprising to be honest to see Fruverteva play that tie in the first place. <laughs> I thought Martinsova would be would have been a, would have been a shoe in. So I, th- I don't know if the Czech captain wanted to make it interesting um, going into that kind of that fourth tie, but uh, yeah, Dart was playing some. Really great tennis going, well, I think she was like six love, three love up. Yeah, yeah, she did have a little wobble in that second set. And I think the those nerves are understandable when you get close to kind of closing it out, particularly, I think, against a player who, yes, is only 16 years old, but is certainly someone who's been touted as someone to watch to, in the future. And um, although I think, you know, she maybe had a bit of stage fright to begin with in front of her home fans, I think actually the more she was closer to defeat the more she just swung freely and that was really kind of causing problems for dart but dart was able to um to mentally regroup in that third set and and come through it so that was a really nice victory for dart but yeah it was just i think a little bit almost a little bit disappointing it it was like i felt like we we got a better doubles team somewhere out there that we weren't able to put on the court and as a result you know as you said it might not have made the difference but just not knowing, I think, is a bit of a, a frustration. But at the same time, very, very good performance, I think, from from GB. The fact taking two points away from home in the Czech Republic, I don't think a lot of people, you know, were expecting it to go to that that final that final rubber. And Kim, you know, there is still that potential that we could be there in the finals despite having lost in the qualifying. Yeah, I think if we uh, potentially are able to host, uh, is that right? We we yep. um, to host the finals, we could get the wild card slot. So, I mean, big yeah, if. Big, <laughs> a big, a big, big if. if. <laughs> Particularly, I mean, yeah, we are obviously in the hosting some of the Davis Cup finals mm. action as well. So I'd be curious to see whether that happens. But if not, 
then we've got a, a playoff um, to look forward to. Hopefully, it can be on uh, yeah on home turf. Um, hopefully, Radicanu can stay involved. But um, yeah, it was a good showing, I think, from the the GB ladies and from Ankyofovong as well. But uh, you know, as we can imagine, Czech Republic, even without players like Barbora Krachikova, are still very very strong. And uh, yeah, them coming through. Yeah, it was good. I think for for GB to give them a bit of a scare. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? Maybe with with Tara Moore or a double specialist, we could have pushed them maybe a little bit further in that that final decisive rubber. Well, Czech Republic are through to the finals. So are Kazakhstan, Italy, Spain, Canada and the US, but also Poland, Joel. Uh, the mm. Polish team obviously being spearheaded <laughs> by the new world number one, Iga Świątek. She absolutely thrashed her opponents. She only lost, I think, 45 points over both of her rubbers. She won 24 of 25 games, barely broke a sweat. Uh, this is now her, like, she's had 19 victories on the trot and counting. Um, there's a ridiculous stat, I think, that was probably being banded around on Twitter. Uh, in her last 15 matches, um, <laughs> she has won a set in all of those matches, either 6-love or 6-1, so either a bagel or a breadstick. Yep. Uh, so the Polish bakery <laughs> going strong. Uh. <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's frightening, really, isn't it? Um, and uh, yeah, it was. It doesn't matter what it is, if it's on the in, the, in a WTA event, Grand Slabs, or yeah, in the Billie Jean King Cup finals. I mean, it's uh, qualifying. It's been yeah, just relentless from Shviontek, and it's great. I think to see her, you know, in this world number one state, just carry on business as usual. I think that's what or I like to see. I don't like to see, I think, like players think about it too much and, you know, thinking about this status and affecting their game. It's not affecting her game. If anything, it's helping her game, given the uh, the dominance that she's showing. But yeah, great, I think, for her to kind of continue. And who knows? I, it, it just feels like the bakery is just always open, Kim. And it's going to be open in Stuttgart, I'm going to assume, this week as well. I would assume so. Um, just a note as well on uh, the Ukraine team. They lost to the USA, but va- very valiant effort. Uh, they were two love down. And then uh, Yastremska and Zavatska uh, got two uh, singles victories uh, to claw it back. But decisive rubber tie went the way of the States with Pagula and Asia Mohammed. Um winning against Yastremska and Kitchenok uh, as well. So they did really well, Ukraine team, without the likes of Svitolina or Marta Kostuk. Mm. Um, and potentially they may be getting the wildcard slot, uh, I guess, yeah. uh, potentially for that final. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that. Um, that would you know, be, you know, obviously yeah. with everything going on, that would be a really yeah, nice I think, touch. Yeah, I think that would be a very nice touch um you know from the the organizers we'll see if that happens but yeah really i think that tie was playing a really good spirit i think it was very well done by the hosts usa um in terms of showing their support the crowds as well um and it was very competitive and it was very um you know it was kept very interesting to that very final tie um it was great to see zavaska defeat uh shelby rogers i think that took us all a bit by surprise and you do sort of wonder if elena svitolina or marta kostuk were there whether you know there could have been a an upset on the cards but um yeah i think if there was one country maybe that is deserving of a, of a wild card, um, you know, given, you know, given the context and given what's happening at the moment, perhaps, um, it's Ukraine. And also, I think just generally from the performance they showed against USA, because I think a little bit like GB in Czech Republic, not many were probably expecting a, the fight that, that Ukraine gave to, to USA. So, um, yeah, good performance from them. 
So let's take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be having a look at Kim Kleister's retiring again, all of the Davis Cup news and looking ahead to this week's Clay Courts events as well. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And let's move on to Path of the Courts, Joel. I think you've got a new Path of the Courts <laughs> yes. up your sleeve. It's been a while since we've had one, so I've got to get my, my brain into action again. What have you got for me? And I, I teased you. I know you, you were intrigued. I, I WhatsApped you before we recorded saying... This is split into two two different two different sections. It's a two parter path for the courts. Yeah, this is doubly as difficult. Then is this because of <laughs> well, Easter? Are we having a sort of extravagant version. Well, I was yeah. Well, I was just like we haven't had one for so long. So there's going to be two parts to this. There is an easy part, and then there is a difficult part. And you know, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling nice. So I'm going to start you with the the easy part although i say that i say that in jest because i feel like i say this all the time and then you're going to be like yep i think i can do that in 100 percent," and then you get the first one wrong yeah i i go for the (laughs) obscure answer for some reason like really early on okay right so let's get to it what's the easy part (laughs) okay right the easy part is so this is for you and our listeners the topic is masters 1000 champions and uh, the last eight Masters events on the ATP Tour, so that's Monte Carlo, Miami, Indian Wells, Paris, Indian Wells back in 2021, Cincinnati, Toronto, Rome, they have all had a different champion. So there's eight different champions in the last eight Masters events. And I would like you to name as many of those eight different champions as possible and as i said i've put this in the easy category so because of how recent it is so i am gonna i'm gonna set the bar quite high here and say i'm expecting for par for the courts i'm expecting at least six out of eight I think I can do six out of eight actually I, I think I think that's reas- that's reasonable so I don't, I, you, you don't have to give bit? me you don't have to give me the tournament but brownie okay. points uh, okay. listeners as well brownie points um if you if you can but uh yeah are you are you ready do you think you can do you think you can do you think you can match or beat par for the courts I think I can match it I think oh, I can't Cincinnati's a bit elusive for me right now, but I'm going to work backwards. And okay. I think the listeners okay. might do the same. So let's do it together. Let's okay. do it. Come on. Right. Okay. So be a bit bad if I couldn't remember <laughs> uh, the Monte Carlo 2022 <laughs> champion. So let's go. Number one, Stefano Sitsipas. Correct. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, Stefano Sitsipas is correct. Yes. Number two, Carlos Alcaraz, Miami 2022. Correct, yes. Number three, Taylor Fritz, Indian Wells, 2022. That is correct, yes. Taylor Fritz, Indian Wells. Uh, number four, was it Par- Paris last year? So, yes, uh, you don't have to, no. you don't, you don't have to go back in order. But yes, obviously, we're now getting back into 2021. So, Paris, mm. Indian Wells, Cincinnati, Toronto, and Rome. Right. Um, I'm going to ignore Paris for now. Uh, Indian Wells last year, Cameron Norrie. 
Correct. Yes. So that's four. So I'm looking for two more to reach par for the course. And then, uh, well, last year's Rome was Rafa because he beat Novak in the final. So Rafa Nadal. Correct. Yes. I was wondering uh. when that was going to come in. So that's, that's five. That's five out of eight, Kim. You need one more yep. from Toronto, Cincinnati or Paris back in 2021. Yeah, I know I know that Zverev won either Toronto or Cincinnati because obviously he won the Olympics and went on a bit of a run. So I'm going to say Zverev. I think it was Toronto. Zverev is correct. So you have reached par for the courts, Kim. But it wasn't Toronto. Oh, Cincy. It was Cincinnati. But I didn't, okay. I didn't put that as a stipulation, so... You've you have reached par for the courts for easy mode. Um yes, uh Zverev was the Cincinnati champion back in uh back in last year. Uh so there are two left, Toronto and Paris. Any any ideas? Oh Paris, Paris, Paris. All I can think of is Jack Sock, but that was like four <laughs> or five years ago. I know he didn't win. It's got to be Novak Djokovic, hasn't it? He must have won one of them. I mean, it'd be yes, silly for me not yes. to say him, right? <laughs> it is, yeah, it is Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic won Paris. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. We just like put it out of our minds and we forget about I know, it. But it, it seems so already. common, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, Paris uh, was Djokovic, and then Toronto champion was it um, someone like Yannick Sinner? No, um, someone of that sort of ilk. Oh, Casper uh, Ruud. Casper Ruud. Yeah, maybe. Kim, it's Daniel Medvedev. I don't know oh. how. What? <laughs> 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 it's. It, I know. I know he's like gone off to have like a hernia operation, but I don't. I didn't realize he had gone from your mind so so quickly. <laughs> well, you know they've they've got to keep up to date. I, I, you know, they've forgotten so easily these days, aren't they? Um, no, okay. Sorry, Daniel. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he did he win that two years in a row? Oh, I mean, he won. He would have won the Rogers. Oh, I'm getting my years mixed up. 2019 was his ridiculous US Open swing. So what's the hard part of the so, half of the court? And I'm sure our listeners are exactly asking the same question, Kim. The hard part to this is this happened. Uh, so eight different Masters 1000 champions. The last time that happened was across 2001 and 2002. It happened uh, during Hamburg. Montreal, Cincinnati, Stuttgart, Paris, Indian Wells, Miami, Monte Carlo. It happened so long ago. There are some Masters events there that don't actually exist anymore. And again, (laughs) this is for you and our listeners. Very, very tricky. Can you name any of the eight Masters champions from that stretch from 2001 for 2002 now i know this is very difficult so i'm actually going to give you uh some clues in terms of nationalities uh for you and our listeners so uh are you ready for the nationalities uh yes let's let's go for it (laughs) so i'm looking for two spanish players a romanian a brazilian a german a frenchman an australian and an American. Just not, I've just jotted that down on the computer. So, okay. 
Right. You did this. You did a similar one, didn't you, recently, where you gave us the nationalities? <laughs> mm. Okay, this is much tougher. So this is very tough. So very tough. And, and and because it is tough, I'm not going to ask for six out of eight. I, I'm not even going to ask for four out of eight. I'm going to ask for uh, just three out of eight. I'm going less than 50% here because this is this is very, very tough uh, for you and our listeners. So I've, I think this is like the lowest I've ever set the bar for par for the courts, but three out of eight. I think I can do it. I think three is, is fine. So um, I'm going to go with uh, number one, Guga, Guga Querton. It's got to be for Brazil, right? Correct. Yes, that is correct. So Gustavo Curtin is the the Brazilian. Um, yeah, that is right. So the Australian could be either Leighton Hewitt or Mark Philippoussis. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, the Spaniard could be Carlos Moya, but it could be Juan Carlos Ferrero. Or it could even be Albert Costa. Would that be... Oh, or Tommy Robredo or... Uh, I'm going to say Carlos Moya. That's my second. Incorrect, Kim. Oh, no. <laughs> Incorrect. No, you have failed. You have failed to reach par for the courts for the hard, hard version. Yes, Gustavo Quentin was correct. He was a Cincinnati 2001 champion. If you had said to me, Juan Carlos Ferrero. Yeah. You would have been correct. Monte Carlo champion in 2002. Um, if you had said to me Mark Philippoussis for the Australian, you would have been wrong. It was Leighton Hewitt. He oh, was okay. the Indian Wells champion in 2002. Uh, any ideas on the the American? Uh, Andy Roddick or Andre Agassi? Oh, it was... Oh. Andre Agassi Stamperous? was correct. It was Agassi, oh, okay. Miami, 2002. Um, Tommy Haas was the German. I was considering him and then my mind went to Nicholas Kiefer for some <laughs> strange reason. <laughs> um, Sebastian Grosjean, uh, Paris, 2001. Okay. Who was the Romanian then? Andre Pavel oh, uh, in oh, Montreal, definitely. 2001. Very difficult. Okay. Very neat. And the final, the final player, a Spaniard who I, I didn't, I, you know, very, very tricky, I think. And he was the Hamburg 2001 champion. And, and listeners, very well done if you got this. Albert Portas. Whoa. I know, who right? Who is he? <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, Sorry. I'm going to hold my hand up as well. Not sure who that Never is. Never heard of but, him. Uh... Sorry. <laughs> Might <laughs> just yes. do a bit of a Wikipedia now. <laughs> um, that was very hard, Joel. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that because that definitely got my brain thinking. Even for the easy ones, you know, I, I couldn't remember them all, obviously. Um, so just goes to show um, it's it's a tricky old game, isn't it? So thank you, Joel. Um, I'll have to come up with something equally as challenging for you <laughs> next week. <laughs> um, I think we've got a passing shot mailbag uh, next. And we have Jim who got in touch with us via email uh, with a really interesting question, touching upon what we've been discussing already today. Uh, he said, hi, Joel and Kim. There's been a lot of talk recently, particularly on tennis Twitter, of the ATP tour recently becoming like the WTA tour, given its unpredictable and unstable nature at the top of the game. Do you agree? Um, yeah, really interesting one. Um, I think, Joel, we've sort of touched on this already today, but what are your initial thoughts on this one? Yeah, it's certainly a fascinating idea. And I think, yeah, there there has been times, you know, in the past, particularly on the WTA tour, where, you know, you felt like, 
anyone could win any sort of week, particularly at, at Grand Slams. And there was just this inherent unpredictability kind of to it. And I have to agree. I think, you know, at the moment on the, the ATP tour, um, there is that that unpredictability. You know, we've got that because of the, you know, the restrictions to Djokovic, um, you know, the uncertainty around, you know, injuries uh, for, you know, Nadal, uh, Federer as well. Um, we've got, you know, players on coming back. We've put up and coming players in, as well. We've got this big, I feel like this big melting pot with all these different, un, a mix of unknowns and unknowns, sorry, unknowns and knowns thrown in. And yeah, it's created a lot more unpredictability, I think, than we've seen on the ATP tour, you know, for example, like a few seasons ago when it was just Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and a bit of Andy Murray, maybe Dominic Team and Stan Wawrinka just kind of winning everything. So, you know, from, from that aspect, I do think it is sort of like that. I, I sort of think the ATP and WTA are going in opposite directions. I actually think the WTA is is actually becoming more maybe not necessarily predictable, but I certainly think more stable. And I, th- I think with someone like an Iga Sviontek at the top, given, you know, her, you know, her imperious kind of status at the moment, I think she's very much kind of, you know, taken on with relish that uh, mantle from, from Ash Barty as the, the world number one. And I think it's added a bit of, of stability, particularly at the top of the game. Whereas on the ATP side of things, the fact that, you know, Djokovic has, has just lost to, to Davidovich, Fikina, um medvedev is is not on the tour at the moment um it just doesn't it doesn't i don't really know what to to think kind of from from week to week particularly at the top of the rankings so yeah i do think at the moment there is a sort of crossroads arguably that the the atp and wta is sort of meeting in the middle and, and one's going one way and the other's going the other way yeah very thorough answer joel i have to agree i think um Certainly the women's tour, perhaps there is, yeah, a new phase of, of dominance amongst the select few at the top, especially with Sviontek. Um, whereas the men's, I think when it comes to Grand Slams, I'm still of the ilk that, you know, it's going to be your, your, your Raffers and your Novaks nine times out of 10 still mm. for the kind of next few slams, at least winning. Um, but injury dependent. I think every other week on the tour though, because they're not playing so regularly, because they're taking reduced schedules and things like that, it is a lot more of a, a free for all. Um, especially when you get players like, well, before this week, Sits Pass having a few months where he's kind of gone off the boil, Zverev throwing yeah. in sort of inconsistency. It, it's, you know, you're not going to have it like it has been um, no. the last 15 it, it years. Feels, it still feels like, you know, some of the, the players in the men's game, they've got weaknesses there and it, and they've also got strengths and those strengths tend to be at certain parts of the year. And it feels like Sisipas strength, obviously we know is on, you know, is around this sort of clay, this clay season. Whereas, you know, for Zverev, it seems he comes to into his own um, when we come on to the, you know, the American hardcore season, like later in the, you know, later in the season. So I think again, this sort of feeling that no, there's not really one player maybe at the moment, arguably apart from, someone like a Daniel Medvedev who has that sort of imperious sort of nature across the whole season. And again, that may be also adding to, you know, the, you know, the the unpredictable, the unpredictableness, I think of the, that we're seeing at the moment on the ATP side of things. Yes, obviously Djokovic and, and Rafa have proven themselves across all court surfaces. But as you said, we might not necessarily be see, see 
be seeing them play across the whole season. Yeah, really interesting to kind of reflect on that. And I think perhaps, I mean, certainly when when Rafa's retired, Djokovic is gone, I think Mm. it's going to be completely different. And, um, you know, the WTA have had that kind of phase of Serena and and then they had a very transitional period. And it's it's very cyclical, I think, isn't it, over the course of of decades, really. But um, yeah, ask us that question in another five years, Jim, and (laughs) be very different, perhaps. But um, no, great question. Do let us know if you've got any more for the mailbag um, each week. We love to answer all uh, the questions from our lovely listeners. So thank you for getting in touch. A couple of bits of news uh, from the last week. Joel, first of which, Kim Clijsters, she's retired again. Get the violins out. <laughs> this is the third retirement from Kim Clijsters. Um, you know, she announced that she was coming back uh, before the pandemic and she did come back, played, I think, five matches on the tour. But unfortunately, her comeback was timed for February 2020, which was as the pandemic uh, was beginning um, so she really hasn't had the opportunity that I guess she would have liked and um, it has not worked out basically I think she didn't win a single match on the tour and you know it's it's just you know with everything else going on in her life she realized that it's not possible to kind of carry on I guess are we allowed to say it hasn't worked out I think I think I everyone think so. <laughs> I think everyone I, like, I think you know fans and, and people following the tour I think that's the sort of yes there's been all this sort of goodwill and understandably so to to Kleisters. and it's it's even amazing that she came out of you know retirement um you know to to get back on the tour um you know given you know the the time she you know had, had stepped off it but i think you know in hindsight looking at it yes i think there are things there are big factors that didn't help particularly with you know the 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 covid-19 pandemic but um I think it just showed how hard it is to to get back to that level, and you know, on on the women's talk, ultimately, I think Kleister's found it too difficult. As you said, she didn't win a match in her in her comeback. Um, she you know she lost five times. Um, it was very difficult. It makes me kind of appreciate you know things like you know Andy Murray in terms of how he has you know got back to that rigor and has been putting in pretty decent performances maybe we will be sort of reflecting on the fact that just just getting into these draws winning matches is an incredible feat in itself because you look at players like Kim Kleisters who's who have tried to go down the same path and it's not worked out in the same way yeah and she said that she doesn't have any regrets so she did what she felt Mm. was right at the time so that's all you can do isn't it I don't think we can say it's a mistake she wanted to come back and try it and it's hard to switch off it's, I feel yeah. like it's hard to switch off for some of these players when it, it comes mm. to retirement. And, you know, we see former players still, you know, still knocking about. I saw, you know, Aga Radvanska was at the, you know, the Poland Fed Cup. Sorry, Poland Fed Cup? The Poland kind of Billie Jean King Cup uh, tie. And I'm, I wonder whether she kind of looks out on the court and is thinking, God, I I could do that. Um, and I think I think that is half the battle. It's It's finding that sort of button to kind of switch off and, you know, for some players, I just don't feel like it, it does switch off. And I think Kleisters is an example of that. Andy Murray is Andy Murray is an example of that. And um, it shows, I think, how driven they are that regardless of you know, what state they're in or, or what their status is, they've always got that sort of nagging <laughs> voice in their head that's like, yeah, why don't why don't we have another crack at, at professional tennis? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's if you've grown up your whole life doing it, it's so, ho- so hard to not kind of think, mm. 
like of doing it every day to, to step away and she had stepped away for a while and you know so had have had kids and everything so um absolutely fair play i she'll still be in tennis you know she's been she'll still be a legend and, and whatnot she's still she's still a legend of course um <laughs> and you know injuries haven't helped you know pandemic definitely hasn't helped um and we bid her another farewell and you know she'll hopefully still be around in the sport in some capacity i'm sure get, get a cushy tournament organizer job i reckon yeah that's what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> Raking all the money. Yeah. Um, talking of tournament organisation, Davis Cup news. Uh, they've decided, the organisers have, that uh, Malaga is going to be uh, one of the hosts for the latter stages of the Davis Cup finals. Um, so that is instead of Abu Dhabi, which had been speculated as as the new host for the Davis Cup finals. But a lot of players... Uh, had expressed concerns about going there so um the itf and the cosmos who are the you know owners of the davis cup um they weren't able to finalize a deal there uh malaga have come up and said we're here we're happy to host uh so it's going to malaga um in november which for me i'm personally quite happy about that i think Malaga's a great city i'm very partial to a spanish city and location i'm sure and- gerard Piquet is as well <laughs> Well, exactly. Maybe <laughs> do, do you think it's a bit unfair that that Malaga have got it? That somewhere in Spain has got it? Um, you know, they've had Madrid previously. I would mean, you rather it would be somewhere else. Um, I mean, yes and no. I feel like you can do you can do what you want with it. I feel if you're you know Gerard Piquet, and if if that is boosting tennis in you know your home country, then you know f- fair enough. I quite like that it's not barcelona or madrid and it's it's somewhere else um so i quite like it from from that respect i like that it's you know staying in europe so yes malaga was uh already kind of chosen as one of the the host cities to host group map ma- group matches but the fact that it's now going to be selected for the finals i think semi-finals and the final itself yeah i think it's sh- it's going to be i think it, it just makes sense you know that the tennis season is so relentless this is going to be at the very end in November, um, November 21st to November 27th. I mean, we're pushing into December here. No one wants, no one was going to want to make that trip, I feel, to, you know, the Middle East and Abu Dhabi. And yes, it might have potentially been more lucrative, but I'm glad, you know, the ITF and, and Cosmov have listened to their players because it sounded like if they had gone through with that, maybe the quality of the product wasn't going to be as good because players weren't going to, be as keen to to travel to it so um yeah i'm sort of happy that with the the decision and um yeah i think it's a i think it it makes sense and i think it shows that they have listened yes there was you know this talk about abu dhabi to begin with but i liked the fact that they have reacted to that news and have kept it all on all on one continent yeah i think it's it's sensible i'm glad it's not going to abu dhabi uh personally glad it's in malaga perhaps we can try and go uh that would be mm. a fab little trip for for november i think so watch this space passing shot listeners <laughs> um but yeah let's let's look ahead to what else is going on in tennis uh the week ahead we've got well barcelona another spanish city um this is the 500 event uh very historic tournament at the the tennis club in Barcelona. Tommy Robredo was playing his final uh, match today. This is his final event. He's unfortunately lost uh, very easily, but um, we well we bid him a, a fond mm. farewell. He's been a absolute stalwart of Spanish tennis over the past twenty odd years. So it's really sad that he's kind of finally bowing out. Yeah, he uh, is another a, a great of the game. I don't think we should read, to be honest, too much into this result. Yes, he lost to 
Zapata Morales of Spain, 6-1-6-1. I think that just shows that his his time is up. You know, he's he's not at the ATP level anymore. Uh, I don't. I think it's amazing his longevity in in his career, and um, yeah, to see him kind of go out in in Barcelona is, is a fitting way a fitting tribute um you know i've got so many memories of him particularly that final he had in barcelona with andy murray uh where he had a bit of a hand gesture at the net um to to murray because he was so annoyed uh with him for for winning it um and obviously he had that um you know he's had some great runs at grand sams as well but yeah sad to see robredo go we do have stefanos sisipas uh, scheduled to play in Barcelona, uh, following on from Monte Carlo. He is the top seed. Kasparud is the second seed. Davidovich Vakina was slated to be in Barcelona, but has pulled out citing fatigue. Um, so he's not going to be present, but we could, Kim. I know we were talking, I'm, I'm just going to say it anyway, because I know last time we were all excited about a Djokovic Alcaraz quarterfinal. Well, I'm just going to put my foot in it again. We could have a Stefanos Sissipas Carlos Alcaraz quarterfinal in Barcelona we could do but it's probably going to be <laughs> they're going to lose both uh, their, they're going to lose their their opening matches it's probably going to be Arthur Rinderneck and Marcus <laughs> Giron or some, someone well, someone Grigor, like that Grigor Dimitrov could play Sissipas um you know in the third round and uh, again Dimitrov has sort of come out of nowhere I mean I I'd love to see it but he was I think unseeded in Monte Carlo so for him to get through to the semi-finals and arguably he had chances to to get to the final as well I mean he is in Sissipas's little section so you know for Sissipas you know how much you know how much energy did he expend in the in the legs in Monte Carlo what what state will we he be in, in in Barcelona and yes he's got a few days off but uh yeah we will see but uh yeah it's going to be a I think it's it's quite a decent draw we've got Schwartzman as well um cam norrie's also there um so yeah we'll we'll have to wait and see i mean no rafa kim but have you got any ideas because because this is all about who's going to jump into the swimming pool at the end of the tournament have you have you got any got anyone yeah it's who's going to pick up the absolutely ginormous trophy <laughs> and then run in the swimming pool um i'm surprised that seb corder is not uh seeded actually um i think he surely should be by now um quite a few like new spanish names as well that i haven't heard of in, in the collies over the past weekend um oh, I, I hope the brits have a better week than they did last yep. time uh, yep. in monte carlo for nori and evans alcaraz i hope picks himself back up I think Sitz Pass is going to be quite tough to beat. Um, but I think Rude okay. will have a better week. Um, the answer mm. is no, I don't have an answer. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's too unpredictable. As Jim asked us, it's just... Okay, I'm going to go Casper Rude. I'm just going to say Casper Rude, okay. Yep. Yep. Um, oh, Sitz Pass. There we go. Okay. He's going right. to do two on the row, two in a row. Well, we also have the Serbia Open in Belgrade and Novak Djokovic, of course, is their hometown tournament. He is the top seed. He will obviously be looking to fare better than he did uh, in Monte Carlo. A little bit of an easier draw. It's an ATP 250. Um, he'll face a compatriot uh, in the second round um, and he could face Kim. Dominic Team also potentially in a quarterfinal. Dominic Team, who again play who's been in out of the wilderness for so long, has had what feels like so many setbacks. Injury, he tested positive for COVID, but it now feels like he is properly back. So I'm interested to see how he gets on. He's got John Millman in the first round. I mean, obviously there are no expectations on Dominic Team. Um, it's just nice to see him back on the tour, isn't it? 
It really is. Um, it's 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 been such a long time. I'd almost forgotten about him. Um, <laughs> as you know, I have a very quick memory. Um, forget about players very easily. Um, yeah, it's it's he hasn't played since June last year, so really really long time. This is a very interesting tournament. So obviously Djokovic at home. How's he going to get on? You know, and then Dominic team being back in the fold. So really intriguing, I think, Serbia this 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 week. Um, I'm sure Djokovic will do quite well, but it'd be quite fun if we had Djokovic against team, wouldn't it? Uh, very early on. Mm. But that that would result in team, I think, getting through two matches to, to get there. Um also on the WTA tour, we've got the Stuttgart event. Um Igor Svontek is the top seed. I assume she's going to carry on baking uh, throughout the week. Uh, Paola Badosa, though, second seed. Savalenka, third seed. Zachary, fourth seed. I'm expecting Zachary to to do quite well. And Padossa, they've been in, in good form of late, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Emma Raducanu still in the draw. But, you know, with these blisters, will she play? She's got Storm Sanders first up. Um, so that, that remains to be seen. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a late withdrawal perhaps yeah maybe i um i I want uh, yeah i hope she plays um but yeah uh, to be honest i think she just needs to have a call with her um with her her clothing sponsor and and sort her shoes out if if they are the the issue because it you know from the interviews it sounds like her foot is just sliding around in her shoe maybe it needs to be more maybe it needs to be more stable so maybe they need to to have a look at that but um yeah nice to see Radikanu in the draw she's in Sviontek's section so there may be a uh there may be a quarter final there against Sviontek but i think she's just got to take one match at a time as always got to remember she's only just starting out on on clay won't be as natural of a surface to her um yeah storm sanders and then an italian either paulini or georgie uh, to come through. Um, interestingly, Kim, Bianca Andrescu, uh, you spoke about Dominic team making a comeback um, in Belgrade. Well, Bianca Andrescu hasn't been on the tour since Indian Wells last season. Uh, she's got Julie Niemeyer, a wildcard, German wildcard in the first round, could face Sabalenka in the second round. So another player I've got my eye on as well. Definitely, yeah. Andrescu, like Dominic team, back after a long, long time out, it seems. So um Also Jabor von Drusova first round. That is a that's a bit of a cracker, isn't it? Yeah, Contivate Kerber, Jabor, uh Von Drusova is me Goff Kazakina. There's there's so many mm. top matchups. Uh, Goff so Kazakina un both unseeded in the first round. I mean, yeah. Great Special draw. mention also to Ludmilla Samsonova, who double bageled uh, Chloe Paquet today. Mm. Uh, so yeah, not often. You <laughs> welcome see her. to the main draw. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the main draw as a qualifier. Yeah, uh, we also have the WTA two fifty out in Istanbul, where Elise Mertens is the top seed, and Serana Kostea is the second seed. Uh, the likes of Jill Teichman uh, also there. Sara Saribas Tormo. Uh, Tom Janovic, yeah, Martinsva. Um, also, a 16-year-old Nikola Bartunkova might be saying that wrong. Um, she's received a wild card, so it's her first WTA main draw. So, uh, look out for her to see what she can do. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Quite a few Turkish wild cards, obviously. Um, I'm expecting this to probably go the way of maybe a Joel Teichman. Mm, yeah, potentially. Know. Interestingly, Kim. Uh, Kalanina is in this draw, and yeah. do you know want to know? Do you want to know the last player to have taken a set off Igor Sviontek? 
And Helena Kalanina. It was Kalanina, exactly. So uh, she'll be holding on to that for, uh, well, let's see. Let's see how much longer. But yeah, you expect maybe Mertens, Castell as the top seeds. Yeah, it's quite a nice draw there. I saw there was a bit of rain today. So I'm hoping they'll hope, I'm hoping that that will stay away and they can get a a full tournament in on time. So uh, we'll have to see how that pans out. But listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest episode of the passing shot remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on the atp and wta tour as we get into the clay season we are on apple Podcasts, spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on apple podcasts or spotify and you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. And uh, let us know if you've got any feedback, comments and questions for the mailbag as well. Uh, you can also reach us via email on PassingShotPod at gmail.com or check out our website www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next time at Passing Shot HQ for another tour catch up. So I hope you can join us for our next episode. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.